0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stanford Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. And keeping on with that tradition of kick-ass 90s film, we are going to be talking about... Did I say this was my favorite? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Sorry, I had a little sidebar to myself. I couldn't remember if I said that last week's episode was my favorite 90s film. But... Certainly was in my top 50, as is this film. I think in terms of quotability, this movie is definitely my top five. Maybe eh, certainly my top 10. Like pushing top five most quotable films of the 1990s. Of course, I am talking about Tony Scott's early 90s written by Quentin Tarantino's True Romance. That's right. The movie starring Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Brad Pitt. Oh, my God. So many other people that are in this movie. Um, oh, my God. Gary Oldman. Uh. My brain is completely jello right now. And I haven't even started this. I mean, I'm not going to say anything. You should know this movie. Everything is escaping me right now because I the anticipation for talking about this movie is turned up to 11 right now. I am I, thrilled. Uh, Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper. They're both in this movie. I mean, shit, this movie literally has everything. Val Kilmer has a cameo in this movie. Um, I mean, it's Bronson Pinchot. That's right. Cousin Balky from uh, Perfect Strangers. I mean, everybody is in this movie. Chris Penn, uh, Tom Sizemore. I'm just going to keep going on and on and on and on. And I know I haven't even scratched the surface of everybody that's in this movie anyway long story short i'm extremely excited to talk about this movie which incidentally at the time of publishing the movie is only recently celebrated its 29th anniversary so that's right basically it's 30th anniversary which holy shit, this movie is about 30 years old i'm not okay with that hopefully you're not unless you're like 20 and you're like whatever old man i don't give a shit. of course if you're 20 and you're listening to this podcast hello thank you tell your other tell your other uh friends to check this out but anyway i digress we're gonna have a great time the guest that recommended this movie i'm really excited to chat with him um if memory serves and i haven't met him yet he knows a thing or two about wine so i'm really excited to see where this conversation is going to go so please without further ado please welcome Ezekiel hampton again zeke thank you so much for for hopping on the show uh Really excited to talk about the movie that, that we're going to get into in a little bit, being True Romance, one of my all-time favorite films. Certainly, like a top five of the 1990s. I, I can't even tell you how many times I watched this movie back then. But before we get started again, thank you. Thank you very much for for hopping on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super stoked to be talking about this movie. Awesome. Well, I mean, the
0: great thing about the show is... The whole idea is you choose it. I watch it. We talk about it. Now, fortunately, I've seen this movie very, very many times. Uh, so it didn't take me a lot to be persuaded into watching this movie again. But before we start talking about the movie, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the audience a little bit about you, where you live, what you do, you know, what, uh, you know, who is Zeke?
1: Yeah. Um, so I live in Napa, California. I work in the wine industry. Um, I have my own wine brand. Uh, I'm a dedicated musician with several projects. So I got an ambient music project, a hip hop project and like a dream pop kind of project. So, uh, and all my music tends to be influenced, uh, mostly by cinema. So that's I probably nerd out on on film and film history more than anything else.
0: Now, when you say that your 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 music is obviously heavily influenced in uh, by by cinema, what does that mean? Like, can you can you kind of explain what that what that's all about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are certain movies where uh, they give you a certain kind of feeling um, or a certain kind of atmosphere. Uh, and then also from, from film scores, uh, as well, I think all that works to help create the atmosphere. Um, and so I kind of take that feeling I get from watching those movies and try to translate it musically.
0: Obviously, when you, when you say that you're, you know, in the, the wine industry and you live up in Napa, I have to stop because I, I love, I love me some wine. So allow me the opportunity in just a minute or two that you can, what, what do I need to know?
1: Uh, That there's a lot of options and that if you don't think you like wine or certain or certain kinds of wine, it's because you just haven't discovered it yet. Um, I feel like wine, the romance of wine, it's the same romance you have in in for those that are really into cinema or literature or music. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, depending on how deep you dive uh, depends on how much discovery there is.
0: Now, have you been able to kind of like narrow people down based on their own person, like wine preferences? If they're like, oh, I prefer a Pinot or oh, I prefer a cab, like a little bit about who they are, or it it's or whether it's like muscadine or or something like that. What would are you able to find out a little bit about a person based on the type of wine they like?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I meant to I'm in mean, generalities for sure. Um, and, and a lot of times if people don't think they, if they don't think that they like wine, a lot of times I'll kind of ask, what is it about the wines that you've tried? You don't like, um, and then it's easy to sort of kind of navigate to, to help find that person, find the discovery, find the wine that, that they were meant to find all along. And I love being a part of that process. And, and I, I've been in the industry long enough to do, to feel like I am pretty good at it. Um, uh, and, and. You know, if even if it's not my personal palette or, you know, my personal preferences, um, just kind of hearing people describe about what they like, what they don't like, um, it is helpful. And you know, sometimes that there are are certain stereotypes that align, you know, with certain tastes too. You know, if, if you tend to kind of like, you know, like uh, you know, for instance, if you are really attracted to like, you know, the ex you know, the the extreme things like say you like extreme sports or you like you know movies that have some you know kind of extreme polarization uh uh you know you you could probably would be into wines that kind of have some very uh strong personality traits uh as well
0: what about you um do you have a go-to like what do you like to drink
1: uh you know because i do get, i am so immersed uh uh in, in you know wines from california uh i probably really i mean i dig international wine so uh fr- french wines you can never you can never know everything there is to know about uh, french and italian wines so for that matter too so i um i like uh, i like funky i like weird um i like um wines that just that surprise you um you know um I probably drink more white these days just because mm-hmm. it's uh, I think if you work in the, especially in Napa, where we're so like heavy on Cabernets, um, you find yourself kind of getting more attracted to like refreshing wines. Uh, so if it's like white wines. A lot of times there will be like the Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Riesling, diverse demeanors. uh red wines. If you want something on the refreshing side, Oujolet is always a really, really good, uh, good choice. Cool.
0: Uh, I lived in Austin, Texas for about seven years, and we have a, a region very, very close to Austin out in Fredericksburg, and Fredericksburg, we're, 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 we're kind of proud of that wine. We, it's a large region, and we, we know it's obviously not super high caliber, but what people have told us is that it is very reminiscent to a lot of Italian-style wines out in Fredericksburg. I don't know if you have the opportunity to go out there, but if you do check it out just to see what your, what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I know of, of the Frederick, uh, Fredericksburg region and I've not been there myself or, um, I think the only Texas wine I've had also has been Texas wine. That was, it was Napa grapes that they imported, uh, mm. and that they made in Texas. So I haven't had any, uh, natural Texas wine, but, uh, I look forward to trying it when the opportunity comes. Yeah, we have,
0: uh, in Austin, we have a place that do source their, their, their grapes. And I think they're the one that we've got there literally in Austin actually get their stuff from, from Napa and various other regions, but there are a couple, couple good spots that might be worth taking a look at. So keep that on your radar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do. All right. Well. Zeke, this has been a fun little like introduction. I want to know. I want to talk more about wine than I do about the movie, but I feel bad because I love the movie. So in the intro, I mentioned briefly that we're going to talk about true romance, but what I want to know is what is your introduction to this movie? Why did you want to talk about true romance?
1: You know, true romance. I think I first discovered it in the late 90s. Um, And I was already familiar with uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown at that point. Um, And I loved all three of those. Uh, And then I think it probably because I found a VHS tape at my friend's house, uh, watched it. And even from an early age, I was always very good about recognizing actors and even character actors like, oh, that guy's in this movie and that movie and this movie. Um, and the thing that blew me away, the first thing that blew me away was just the the cast. That to me, it's still to this day, it's probably one of the best casted films I've ever seen.
0: The funny thing is like the two stars, although very, very well respected actors, are at like the bottom of the totem pole when when you look at everybody else in this movie, right? you got Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, brilliant, brilliant actors and act, you know, like brilliant actor and actress, but Christopher Walken, Brad Pitt, James Gandolfini. Uh, Dennis Hopper, uh, Christopher Penn, Val yeah, Kilmer, Kilmer, Chris Tom, Penn, Sizemore. Tom Sizemore, Val Kilmer, Michael Rappaport, Michael Rappaport, yeah, like it goes on and on, did we say Dennis Hopper, I don't even know if we mentioned Dennis Hopper,
1: yeah, you know what, I, we didn't say Bronson, Show either, or uh, Saul Brons- Rubinek.
0: Yeah, Bronson Pinchot as well, you know, like Cousin Balky or rather Balky uh, from Perfect Strangers. I mean, there's so many people in this movie. I think there's probably one or two that we're still missing.
1: Okay, there's um, the uh, Conchita Alanza. She, I think she passed away last year. Um, the one that's uh, the casting agent. she shouts, Dick Richie. Oh, yes. Yes. Very funny yes. actress.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, just pound. I mean, ridiculous just insane insane cast oh like,
1: and i don't Did we mention samuel jackson
0: no we didn't even <laughs> mention samuel we didn't mention gary oldman either
1: oh and gary oldman has gone on record to say um uh playing drexel spivey's favorite role he's ever played
0: yep mm-hmm. and he's played some pretty amazing characters have you done much research to find out what the the inception of what this film was that it was really kind of a couple stories that merged into one
1: yeah, you know, I've done, I have done a little bit, like I know that uh, uh, originally Tarantino was wanting to direct and he had, uh, uh, you know, a different ending planned, um, you know, but I, I think he's got on record to say that uh, uh, ultimately he came to believe that the Tony Scott, the the changes that he made were, were good changes. And it's so interesting because even though Tarantino didn't direct it, it still has everything about it. Like it feels like a Tarantino film from the dialogue um, to the, um, just the sort of kind of zany plot and everything mm-hmm. feels like it's, it's a Tarantino film. It should be their next risk for dogs of Pulp Fiction. For sure.
0: For sure. It's funny just because we mentioned Tony Scott, we mentioned Quentin Tarantino, the original creator of the, this idea, even though it, it kind of got stagnated, didn't uh, materialize beyond that. But this goes back to the original like story creative Roger Avery, who didn't really get any credit in this movie, but he was kind of the, the guy that came up with the overall idea. And then he's like, I can't figure this shit out. Quentin Tarantino took it, ran with it, developed it furthermore. But uh, the that little collaboration, just a couple of guys that, that if you, if you, legend has it that they, you know, they worked in a video store together and they both were like screenwriter wannabes and they came up with something. Roger Avery came up with this idea of kind of like this great, idea of like this great i don't know what's the word kind of like road trip kind of story didn't know how to do anything with it quinn tarantino took a crack at it created this movie and then also this then became fragmented into being true romance as well or rather um what a uh, serial killer um it's a serial killer film
1: Oh, my God, natural born killers, natural
0: born killers. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So both these movies kind of like were connected in that respect, which I find fascinating. And this movie, when he sold the screenplay, this is kind of what got Tarantino on the map to be able to do his own stuff, which is pretty remarkable in itself. And yeah, even though this movie is directed by Tony Scott, as you said, Quentin Tarantino was able to put his stamp on it, even though it still feels very Tony Scott in the way the overall kind of like filters and the look that everything is, uh, you know, done. And even the credits are very Tony Scott ask. But the the dialogue is not Tony Scott. I mean, it's abundantly clear that you had a lot of that crisp Quentin Tarantino uh, stylized element to it. And yeah.
1: Yeah, there's there's a freshness to the the story where, um, you know, one could say maybe how it starts it feels predictable. But this is it, it, to me, it, it kind of feels like one of the like the least predictable, least formulaic uh, films. And I think that's part of why I like it so much is because you don't really you you can't really predict what's going to happen in the next scene. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it keeps it. And to me, like that keeps it fresh. It's hard to do. It's hard to avoid, um, you know, uh, tropes and and and, you know, formula formula.
0: Absolutely. Now, one thing that obviously we've been chatting for a couple of minutes, but we haven't really kind of covered the plot. Do you feel comfortable giving like a kind of like Cliff Notes version of what this movie's about? Or do you want me to take a crack at it?
1: You know, why don't we, why don't we tag team? OK, sounds why don't we great. Tag team? Yeah, they all started. It started off. So uh, you got um, like a comic book store, kind of a kind of a, uh, you know, societal outcast who's like super nerdy into comic books. Um, he gets set up, uh, for his birthday, uh, he meets a girl, but after they get together, they find out that she was a setup for his birthday, but they sort of have this, you know, um, magical let's, you know, fall in love one night and like, you know, leave, leave your, leave your, uh, your, your, uh, the prostitute profession. Um, and she's like, well, I gotta, um, you know, I I have a, I have a pimp and he's not going to really just like, let me leave. So, um, why don't you take it from there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so essentially, as you said, guy falls in love with a, with a call girl. She's like, I can't just run out of town. I've got a pimp. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of this. He goes and sees the pimp and says, she's done everything. You know, everything is good. The pimp is not too okay with it. And a mass, um, melee ensues and now Alabama and Clarence are on the run and they're trying to uh, evade basically the, the pimp's bosses uh, who obviously they, they, they feel a certain way about it. So they're chased all the way from middle America to LA. And then it becomes, are they going to get caught? Are they going to get away? And are they going to get caught not just by the pimps, but also by like law enforcement and, it's the movie is not quite a road trip film, but it's kind of a road trip film. I mean, they spend a lot of time in that. What is that? A Cadillac? Um, I don't even I know think it's so. Cadillac. I think it is. Yeah, uh, but the it, it's it's a love story road adventure between a couple like Bonnie and Clyde of the '90s, if you will. I think would maybe be a good way to kind of kind of frame it.
1: Bonnie and Clyde, but you know cause I feel like with like natural born killers, not, you know, kind of similar oh, yeah. as well. I feel like it, it's more interesting. Like it's not like it goes from being kind of Bonnie and Clyde, some, 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 uh, some shared, uh, DNA for sure. But, um, just once you, they get to LA and then the whole plot of them trying to unload the drugs cause they stole some drugs from that's right. That's what sort they of, say. So you stole the drugs from the pimp and then the pimp who was involved, they're connected to some kind of mob, uh, basically chases after them because they want the, the drugs and Clarence and Alabama are trying to sell the drugs to big Hollywood folks, the big Hollywood types um, <laughs> so that they can just basically get their payday and and bounce and go live happily ever after with some kids. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I, I should take a step back with that, that whole bonding Clyde because they aren't like gun toting like idiots. They're just a couple of people that are, are in love and they're just, yeah, they're hiding, moving to California and they got a giant stack of, coke
1: yeah and they but part and i think part of what makes them uh so attractive uh for the audience is that they have this whimsical uh aloofness Mm. to them like that they're Mm -hmm. not really quite aware of of you know what how dangerous it is what they're doing uh everything they do at every step um is is they just keep getting into uh the deeper end um but with like with uh, without any kind of sense of self-awareness.
0: Yeah for sure and everybody that they meet is equally if not like whimsical are equally like endearing and fascinating and this is kind of like that magic of that Quentin Tarantino is even the the bad the bad ombres that we're meeting along the way they're it's it's it, it's it's just a screen writing like Wet dream. I mean, it, everything that's written on the, like everything that is said, everything that you see is just very, very, it's the coolest screenplay that you're ever going to come across. Like all the dialogue is really good. Um, all the banter is really good. And you are getting these ridiculous cameos along the way of many people, quite frankly, that hadn't really been stars in, in that sense obviously james gandolfini nobody knew who the hell he was
1: well and brad i think he, pitt, he probably got his uh i bet you that was sort of like his audition for the sopranos was i, mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised
0: the movie came out 93 ash yeah the brad pitt was known but again it, it's still like he he's in the movie for a couple minutes I love that Val, Val Kilmer is in the movie. He, like, auditioned to play Clarence, but he didn't get that. And instead, like, oh, I could do Elvis. And, well, he's going to be off-camera, whatever. Like, I'll do it. And that that's great. But, yeah, like, just a lot going on in this movie. And there is something, I think, yeah, you, you use the term whimsical. There's just something kind of weird and cute about a movie where there's a lot of really bad profanity a lot of things that don't stand up in modern day sensibilities. And yet it, it's, there. There's just something fun and innocent about this weird action. Shoot em up mm-hmm. movie loaded with profanity. And <laughs> you, you root, you root for the, these two characters that you, you hope that these two, you know, uh, this call girl and this comic book nerd on the lamb might get away
1: yeah and you know what there is something that is is absolutely whimsical about them because we're rooting for them they are not they're 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 kind of dumb um (laughs) they are uh, they don't make good choices they don't make necessarily they don't make moral choices but their their love that they have for each other is so pure and innocent you know it really does contrast against the world around them it's like you know you know, the world just won't understand us, can't get us. And it's interesting to see you have this um, flawed couple who is, you know, really, you know, just they're, 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 they contrast with the, the world around them, what's going on around them. And uh, I, and I, I think that's kind of um, endearing.
0: I, I totally agree. Now, out of curiosity, I am curious because of the fact that you had referenced a few Quentin Tarantino films. Are you still like a big Tarantino fan even today?
1: I got to tell you my last the last really really good Tarantino film for me was Jackie Brown. Um, oh wow. I, I haven't really been into like I haven't hated everything, but it's either been like nah, I don't like it or like it's okay. Like you know, it's worth it's worth the viewing. I don't need to go back and watch it again. Uh I haven't quite gotten gotten I haven't seen anything that's been um quite like 90s Tarantino for me. Yeah. What uh you?
0: what do you need to know i don't know if it's if it's been a couple of decades since you've seen tarantino's work but his foot fetish has gotten even worse just to bring you up to speed <laughs> um we we thought that like it reached like peak level with um from dusk till dawn where he like like suck like the wine or whatever it was off of Selma Hayek's feet no we were only scratching the surface right there with that on, with that weird fetish
1: well, you know, to be fair, the only Tarantino film I have not seen is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I haven't seen that one yet. Really? Okay. Yeah.
0: That. Um, I mean, it, you know, you start it today, you might be done with it about a week and a half. I mean, it's a long, long movie. There, there's a lot of stuff to good. That there's a lot of good stuff to be had in it. I enjoy his work. I, I feel sometimes it's a little like self indulgent, but at the same time, I I do appreciate. This idea of like, this is a, a a film nerd that is living the dream of every film nerd that he's like, I can't believe people actually give me money, a lot of money to make a movie. So I'm going to put all this shit into this and in, into this because this is what I want to see. But um I I think, no, I have. Yeah, I was going to see if there's anything that I haven't seen. I've seen them all. I would say the one that I didn't enjoy or the one I certainly enjoyed the least was The Hateful Eight, which not for me. Uh, I did enjoy the Kill Bill film, both versions, to an extent. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, although I think a couple scenes carry over a little bit too long. I think they're a little long in the tooth, like from scene to scene. I think it was good... I liked the opening scene of *Inglorious Bastards, but I think a lot of it kind of slowed down for me. And again, kind of like self-indulgent. But I think I think he's a filmmaker that does some really, really good work. But for my money, my my favorite things he ever did was Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. And you mentioned Jackie Brown and certainly a screenplay for this. So I think like these first four films are just top notch for me. Yeah. Yeah, me too.
1: Now, another
0: question I had for you, obviously, is the fact that. um, Gary Oldman, which we had already kind of like talked a little bit about as, you know, one of his favorite roles that he had, like he ranks this among his favorite characters, this one and Lee Harvey Oswald as his two favorite characters that he's ever played on screen. Now What's I don't know if favorite? you're be, pardon me? That's my other favorite from him. Oh, is it? Okay. Well shit. Yeah. Then that ruins that question. I was going to be <laughs> curious to know like what, what other, other films specifically, like, do you have like another like favorite, like piece of work that Gary Oldman ever did?
1: Uh, let me see. But now so you G- can't
0: say Lee Harvey Oswald from JFK. Uh, yeah.
1: So if it's, um, let me see. Was JFK. um I mean, I did think his performance in Dracula is is is, yeah. is, is very very good. I think I'd put that a, at least in the top five. If it wasn't my third mm-hmm. favorite, it, it's it's def- definitely top five. What are your thoughts of uh, Fifth Element? You know, I feel like that should be a movie I like because uh, I do like a lot of sci-fi. But I wasn't into the Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, to me it felt kind of like a, it felt like a diet Blade Runner a little bit. Oh, okay, um, okay, uh, I can you know see what? that. To instead Sid Nancy, I liked him as a yeah and Sid Nancy. Dude, good
0: call, man. I haven't thought about that movie in years. That's a good one.
1: Um, what
0: else do you need? Oh, so this movie obviously was like a uh, Quentin Tarantino worked a lot with like the Weinstein's. Obviously, you know here Harvey Weinstein and everything. Now, did you hear that Harvey Weinstein? originally wanted Steve Buscemi for the role of Clarence.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I love I, I love Steve Buscemi, one of my favorite actors ever. But Warner Brothers, who kind of ran this production, they didn't get it. Didn't make any sense to them. So instead they fired Harvey Weinstein, which was then subsequently the beginning of miramax uh which i think is just one of those like fun like history lessons of like harvey weinstein wanted steve buscemi warner like what the fuck are you talking about he's like well fine i'll start my own thing and that became miramax
1: little steve buscemi trivia question for you yeah uh so it came out real shortly after true romance but steve buscemi played in another kind of gangstery role uh and a sort of kind of a uh, maybe sort of a similarly spirited film. Another with the big cast, including Christopher Walken. Can you think of this movie?
0: Oh. Ooh, okay. All right. Bear with me one second, because now I just have to go through the vault. Christ- Christopher Walken. Excuse me, um, oh, my God. What did they do? Uh, give me one little key. Other Something
1: else. Yeah uh the movie huge all-star cast as well uh christopher walken plays definitely like a gangster mob boss i believe he's like in a wheelchair or he's got some kind of ailment but he is like he's like the main big boss and then he hires steve buscemi uh, i feel like if i tell you the name i don't know if it's gonna be too much of a hint but i can tell you his name he's got a very memorable name
0: Was it a Mr. something?
1: Yes, it's a Mr. Big old
0: uh,
1: Oh, I feel like you got it.
0: If you got the Mr. Wasn't no, he wasn't in th- it wasn't Things to Do in Denver when you're dead. That's it. Oh, that that's is it. it. Okay. Mr. S- he was Mr. Shush. Mr. Shush, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Shush. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. I have not seen that movie since I guess it would have been on like HBO in like 95, 96. Yeah, um, that's right around when it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: good. Yeah, I'm impressed. That's good. You got it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I completely forgot Christopher Walken was in that movie. who was who was the star? Was that like Andy Garcia? No, who was the yeah. star in that? Andy Garcia. It was Andy Garcia. Yeah. Look at that. I'm not even cheating. I'm just I'm just like <laughs> just going through he, the ball here.
1: He had his gang too. And uh I had Treat Williams and um Yeah, Treat bill, Williams. Yeah. bill Nunn, Christopher Lloyd. Um yeah, they had a um oh gosh, what's the um What's the actress? The uh, She was big in the in the 90s and thought uh, Farooza Balk. Faruza Balk was in oh, it. Oh, Farooza Balk.
0: Yeah. There were so many movies after Pulp Fiction that kind of were trying to capitalize on, even, it doesn't mean that they weren't a good movie, but just trying to like take a little piece of, oh, you like Pulp Fiction? Let's write some of like these offbeat, kind of quirky gangster films. Cause you had things to do in Denver when you're dead. You had, um, Two days in the
1: Valley. Do you remember that one? I, I have it on DVD. I, I'm a fan of it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like
0: James Spader with like his uh his stopwatch. It was like mm-hmm. one of the early films of with like Charlize Theron. Yep. Uh, you know
1: what? There was that movie. It came out. I think it was late '90s, early 2000s, and it got terrible reviews. But I kind of secretly liked it. it. Was the movie Knockaround Guys? I haven't seen that one. I don't know it. It's Dennis Hopper, John Malkovich uh, Barry Pepper, Vin Diesel. Um, Oh gosh. There's uh Oh, uh, Seth green. Um, what it's kind of like, it's it's basically the, I I think the, if I can imagine what the pitch was, it's like, it's like these like young, you know, these young, cool actors, um, you know, or it's like these young characters who are, uh, they're trying to prove to the big boys, the old guard, the John Malkovich, the Dennis Hopper, like the, all those gangsters they are trying to prove that they, uh, uh, that they, they got what it takes to be in the family business.
0: Mm. I'll have to check that one. Yeah, I, actually, now that you say that, I think I remember that movie like coming out, but I, I've never actually seen it. Um, is there any other film that's similar that I want to throw at you? Um, another Roger Avery film was Killing Zoe, which came out that. around the same time. So Roger Avery being like one of like the other like co-writers that created Pulp Fiction that were involved in the inception of, of true romance. I don't know, but still like with all these movies that we mentioned, they they obviously have that. They have a the common theme of like this kind of like quirky nineties hitman kind of vibe to it and not in the organized crime in like a Martin Scorsese, even though obviously Martin Scorsese heavily influenced Quentin Tarantino and many many other filmmakers but what i am curious just to get into kind of like that little introspective moment what is it about this movie that like resonates with you or what is it about some of these films that connect with you Uh,
1: you know there's for me i'm a big fan of irony and i love the fact that a movie that's so you know violent and profane at is somehow charming And it has Mm -hmm. me, you know, uh, and so so to me, there's almost like a rhythm to it with the dialogue, uh, with the characters and how they interact. Um, And I love, you know, and and the musical score by Hans Zimmer uh, is really good. Um, And it's got that sort of like that little and I've heard it reused for from other movies too. like that same score uh, plays kind of towards the end. It's like the main theme. And it's just this very, it's like so cheerful. Mm -hmm. And um, so I like that. I like how you got these characters, everything that is so ironic to everything that actually happens in the movie.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. And, and I don't even know if I want to tell you this, or maybe you do know this, but I'm like, (sighs) I don't want to ruin this movie for you, but or ruin the score for you. But my mind and my world was broken when I heard that Hans Zimmer basically, I'm not going to say ripped it off, but this this score, it's actually based on a Carl Orff piece from like the 1970s. It was in the movie The Badlands. The song is called Gossenauer, but they're very, very striking. So I'm going to play them both for you. Here is You're So Cool. is Carl Orff's piece.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, even like the melody. Yep. Mm-hmm. do you know if it does that uh is it acknowledged at all that he um i'm sure but i don't um
0: but i've never like researched it more like other than that the piece was inspired by this carl or uh a piece now in between uh, our breaks we talked a little bit about favorite scenes and so i wanted to get into that so let's talk some favorite scenes i love the scene with gary oldman and clarence in there that like, that tense moment they've got with each other um i mean i i love brad pitt when they they come and he's just smoking up and he's uh, what i love is like he was like improvising that entire scene I was yeah. like you guys want like a hit of this and he's like don't kind of send me motherfucker you know like
1: yeah james can the i love that because they have such a polite interaction and he's mm-hmm. like can you know where they're at and brad pitt of course gives the all the information about where they're at and james can is like hey, thank you i just you know have a nice day it's just very like <laughs> the polite interaction is uh is
0: hilarious yeah um Bronson Pinchot's scene with him with uh Tom Sizemore and um Chris <laughs> Penn where like he's in deep shit and just like he's being interrogated it's just so good.
1: Yeah, I they're playing like scene. yeah, they're playing like that good cop bad cop and then mm-hmm. like on the outside all they're doing is just like cracking up and like making yep. you know how yep. how much of a coward he is. Yes. But all of that,
0: all of that is a distant, distant second, third, fourth, fifth place to the scene that is Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. Oh, like what? just one yeah. of the greatest scenes in the past 30 years. And it's it wasn't like the only apparently like the only like improv in that whole scene was Christopher Walken saying, well, you're a candle, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it. Everything yeah. was like, like, like on the page. And we all know as viewers, what's going to come, like everybody that's ha- like, that's w- like everybody in the scene knows, that, oh, this is not going to end well for Dennis Hopper. And it's just a matter of what's going, how, how's this whole scene going to play out? Mm-hmm. What's going to go on with it? So that that like, it's a super tense scene. And there's, it's not even levity. I don't even know what Dennis Hopper is bringing to it because it's not really a super lighthearted, but there's just like this fuck you kind of moment that's existing. And you've got these two quintessential, like iconic American actors, you know, not necessarily in their prime or in their peak, but still giving incredible performances and they're just trying to who's 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 going to steal the scene even more from the other person and it's a fucking you know when you talk about this movie i i have to swear because i mean the movie is nothing but profanity but it is a fucking perfect scene and that without question is my favorite scene in the film so i apologize if you
1: like something else but mine's the right answer no yours i would agree (laughs) i would agree because that's mine too (laughs) Uh, and it's interesting because I, I, again I love the 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 sort of conflict I have as a as a viewer because obviously uh you know the racist language is not right. entertaining but nope. I think what I get from Dennis Hopper is playing on the stereotypes you know that have been with the you know with the Italians uh and you know the and, and the um you know black american community with uh you know there's a history of of racism there and i love this idea that you get dennis hopper who knowing what his fate is ultimately going to be he is going to for the sake of provoking i don't necessarily believe his character would be like that in real life but maybe i'm wrong you know very maybe i'm wrong maybe he really is like a super you know is a super super racist cop i don't know but i uh, but i i guess i choose knowing that he knows his fate he knows He's he's basically is going to get under the skin and try to get that quick death. Uh, and the way it is played out and the way it delivers, like not too many, I think he, writers and directors would even feel comfortable approaching that kind of scene. But I think when you've got, you know, Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, Tony Scott, Quentin Tarantino, I think when you when everybody gets it and is on the same page with what they're trying to achieve. Um, it it you, you got magic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, because that scene worked really well, uh, it almost seems like it was a precursor to other other <laughs> scenes that Gwen Tarantino would then write in the future. But yeah, I mean, there there are elements of, of his writing that that even though he defines it as well, this is, you know, this person is from here. This is how they talk. Cinematically, it hasn't aged well with you know audiences. I mean, it, it'll make you feel, it'll make you squirm, it'll make you feel very, very uncomfortable uh, when people are are talking a certain way, and the scene is no different.
1: But you know, but yeah, but you know, but I, I do. Th- I, I context is everything, you know, and I and I think that uh, if you're looking for, you're 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 thinking within the the uh, perspective of the characters. Uh, I totally get it, and just because it's in the characters doesn't mean that uh, the, the writer is using it as an outlet to have this fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, racist. Uh, uh, Diatribe. Conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that's why I'm not like, you know, I wouldn't. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not uh, and not that I would be the person to be offended, but I there's not a lot that uh, that offends me, um, you know, just because it's like, again, that's the context, free speech. That's the character. To me, it feels more. It would feel less authentic if you had to trim around certain things because of what, you know, a a viewing audience might think. I'd rather I'd rather see someone kind of take the gamble and Mm. just go for it, um, you know, versus play, play it safe, because that's what most most do is play it safe. For
0: sure. What about you? Do you have any favorite scenes from the film?
1: So that's definitely one. Definitely, the Gary Oldman uh, is today White Boy Day. Nah, man, it ain't White Boy Day. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> uh, that I mean, that whole scene um, is just amazing. I at mean, the whole and the whole dialogue, like not not just the dialogue, but even like the facial expressions that Gary Oldman makes. You know, he's got a scarred mm-hmm. face. He's got the tooth, and uh, um, you know, and clearly, like not a dumb person because he breaks down. You know, I love when he breaks down. Uh, uh, I was like, see, if you, uh, you know, if you weren't nervous, you'd just sit down, right. and be like this, this guy, this guy's just sitting eating my, uh, having an egg roll. And, uh, but you have to sit down. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's some titties. I'll just the there. <laughs> and I'm, now I know I'm pretty, <laughs> but I had a couple of pair of titties. Yeah. yeah that is, um, I'm at the whole, it's, it's, uh, to me, it shows that, uh, as zany as he is, he's also, you know, probably pretty cunning. hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got that
0: scene. We, we were introduced to him earlier in the film with that scene with Samuel Jackson and, and, uh, shit, I forget the other actor who was with him, but he had been in a couple of films as well. But, and that was all just a, a way to shoot a couple of guys and, you know, take some money. And he was very, very observant. You, you know, who Drexel is. He's just somebody not to be messed with. He's ex he, he looks like an idiot. He looks all over the place. He he talks a certain way, but he's sharp as a fucking tack, you know, like he's, he, you can't get anything by him, but yeah, Clarence did.
1: Oh, I gotta, I gotta mention one more. We haven't uh, talked about yet. The, um, uh, when I uh, mentioned the actress, is it uh Conchita? Oh, I forget her last name. Uh, and she is doing the audition for uh, Dick Ritchie. And she's reading and she's just kind of like casually reading it. Like she doesn't You know, it's like a, it's someone who would be a casting director where they're, uh, I mean, I, I, I uh, auditioned for a couple of films before. Okay. So like I know how it goes with the whole, um, you know, they do like a half-hearted reading of it, you know, just because right. they're, they gotta be the, the other person. And she does this half-hearted reading. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Michael Rapport is just kind of similar Terrible. to Clarence in Alabama. Yeah. He's just like this, like, um, just very naive and got a slight like whimsical uh, nature to him to where he's kind of oblivious.
0: That whole scene. Yeah. Where she, uh, I, I, the big takeaway obviously is that she was a terrible like, like scene partner for him and he's trying to bring it, but it's really, really painful watching him. And it's Michael Rappaport in like his like, heyday which was like that mid 90s where he was so good Mm -hmm. at being so bad and i love that he's like obviously such a new yorker in la and just like all, just all of it, all of it is just so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then just,
1: well, and, and then you're led as the audience, you're led to believe that he didn't get the part. Cause she stops him. Okay. Thank you. Blah, 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 we'll call yep. So, and so he's like, oh, okay, yeah, he clearly didn't get it. And then when he gets the call, I got the part. And then Brad
0: Pitt is so happy. <laughs> like Floyd just, yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I want to, I want to do, what I typically do is I like to talk a couple stats about the movie. And you know, I like to do like a little like trivia game, just see. You know, I love putting people on the hot seat to see how well they remember this movie. Is there anything else you want to talk about the movie? Um, why? No, how think... about this? Let me put it this way. Why, one, why is this movie still relevant today? And two, if somebody has never seen this movie and we haven't we haven't spoiled the ending and obviously don't spoil the ending. But if somebody hasn't seen this movie, why should they see it?
1: um i you know i would probably start off with some you know generalities but like there's not another movie like it there's movies that maybe have borrowed some of its formula but in terms of like the right chemistry the right charm um you've got one of the greatest casted films ever um and you have a plot that is so if you don't know anything about it it's so unpredictable from scene to scene um and 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 to me, but it's like whatever happens, you just accept it, and it's it's kind of part of the the madness, a part of the fun. Um, and I think many movies aspire to kind of have that formula, but they just it's it's not the it's not the same.
0: I agree. I agree. All right, Zeke, are you ready? Actually, no, no, no. So one final thing, just to go over a couple little like fun uh, stats of the movie. So this movie came out, what was it, 93? Written, directed by Tony Scott. $12.5 million budget. Made $12.5 million in the box office. So cut even, but mm, dare I say kind of a flop. Didn't really necessarily crush it. Critically, did well enough. Wasn't wasn't loathed or anything. But to say this movie has had a cult following is an extreme vast, like understatement again, the, the success of Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs is what gave this movie, even though this movie preceded both of those, this is the movie that uh, without the success of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, this movie wouldn't be thought of in the same way. Everybody saw this movie because those two movies and, and arguably like pound for pound for like a, uh, a casual viewer this is the most ex- uh accessible of those three films i would think
1: yeah you know what i i never thought about it in terms of like accessibility but i think you're right and maybe that's where part of a uh, you know tony scott is is was always been really good at at making movies accessible he's like a bog you know he mm-hmm. makes box office top gun was, for crying out loud yeah well and you know what and i i i think he did the rock too right he, he uh Oh no. Uh he may have
0: like done some film work, but that was like Michael Bay. Michael Bay was a rock. But he's done oh. films like
1: The Rock. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. That's probably the only Michael Bay movie I think I've ever liked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good one. It's still it, it holds up. I hate that I enjoy The Rock, but yeah. But yeah, yeah it's mean, yeah, only
1: some mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some
0: um, but dude, yeah, Zeke, this has been a lot of fun, man. Um favorite. Oh, oh um, uh, favorite characters? Obviously, we've talked a little bit about everybody. Do you have any favorite favorite characters in the film?
1: Um, I'm going to say Drexel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love um, the film producer that uh, that Saul Rubinek plays. Um, what's his name? The the Lee Nash or what? Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, basically, Donowitz. Lee, Lee, Donowitz. Lee Donowitz. Lee Donowitz.
0: Lee Donowitz. I think if I understand correctly. The legend goes that that was a rip on the film producer, Joel Silver. Yes.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, you know what? I, I also know that Tropic Thunder, that Tom Cruise was supposed to be Joel Silver. That was supposed to be Joel yep. Silver. Yeah. Um, and I heard this. I heard that, uh, that, that, uh, um, I don't know if it was Silver, but I knew it was like a big prominent producer. So that would make sense if that was also supposed to be kind of like a Joel Silver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I want to get my hands on any type of video footage of Joel Silver just to get a little like taste on like how they were obviously inspiring this character on them. Um, but here we go. I've got, I've got some trivia. We're gonna play a little game just to see how well you remember true romance. I'm going to give you a softball question. In what city does true romance begin? New York. Ooh, Detroit.
1: Oh, okay. Detroit.
0: Who actually provides the voiceover
1: work for this film? Is it Clarence or Alabama? Um, I know Alabama for sure. I'm trying to think if Clarence has any moments. No, it's just Alabama.
0: Yep, Alabama is correct. She does the voiceover. Um now this one might be a deep cut. She says it early in the movie but Alabama says that she's some she's from somewhere. It's not from Alabama, although it's close to Alabama. Do you remember where she said she's from?
1: No, I I don't, I, I don't got it. It's okay.
0: She said that she's from I think she said she's from like byways and highways of uh like like of Tallahassee, Florida or something like that. Uh, she's okay, from Florida. Okay, okay good one. And let's see, that was three. Oh, um, so Clarence has a big thing of going to see Kung Fu movies. Do you remember the actor that he likes to see? Is it Bruce Lee? Sonny Chiba. Sonny Chiba is correct. Uh, we already you already know that he's a comic book guy. And then lastly. So we know that Alabama, if you've seen this movie, you know, she's a call girl, right? She's a call girl. That's how she got into this. Do you remember how long she said she has been
1: a call girl in this film? He was, that was her, she was her first, um, her first job.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: Four days. Four oh, days.
0: Okay, four, okay. <laughs> she had been a call girl for like oh, okay. less than a week. So yeah, she was like the first customer and everything. What, what, what if I, what, what if I ask you a couple? Oh, please. Yeah. I okay. love this.
1: Okay. What is the first name of Tom Sizemore's character? Oh you shit. You only, you hear it at the end when, um, um, when Christopher Penn is trying to avenge him in the big shootout. And he says, this is for, and he's, and he calls him by his first name. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. Um, It's Cody. This is Cody. It is
0: Cody. It is Cody. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) I remember that scene.
1: Well, how about so obviously they're partners. There's a third cop that joins him. It's an actor whose name we haven't said. He's not super famous, but he was in like the abyss and he was in, um, soul food uh the actor who's the the african-american actor the mustache in the shootout as well he's like a character actor but i don't know if you you would know his name who was that it was michael beach
0: michael beach i don't know if i know michael beach
1: yeah he was um the first thing i remember was he in the abyss he was one of the guys in the beginning he was one of like the i think he was like the lieutenant Hold on, I have, I have to
0: Google Michael Beach now.
1: Oh shit! Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, I know that actor.
0: He was in the Who was in the Abyss?
1: He was in the beginning. He was the the very first scene of the crew, and he's like sixty nuts, sir. He's the one who was like, "Oh the, shit, man!" The first, that's a, the first, that's
0: good. That's a good deep cut right there. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about, but I remember I remember Cody. But man, that, man, that's. That's not even fair. That's a deep one.
1: <laughs> that one that is, it is a deep one. It was a deep one, but I figured you'd, you'd be a good, uh, you'd be a good one um, to try that out on.
0: Yeah. You, you beat me on that one.
1: How about in the, um, and so uh, when he, they're going to go, they're seeing the, the Sunny Shiba marathon uh, the, I think it's the last title. Um, the, it's the part four. And uh, it's a family member of uh, it's the sister of the street fighter or something. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Zeke, dude, this was so much fun. I know we've been chatting about this for a couple months, but I had a great time catching up with you and talking about this movie. I do want to let you know you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to talk about any of those other films on the list, or if you want to chat anything else, anytime I meet somebody that has a, uh, an appreciation for good cinema, I want to hold on to that person and say, dude, let's talk some more.
1: Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. I I appreciate that. This has been, it's been such a pleasure. Um, And uh, I I don't get enough uh, time to, to um, soak in all the nerdiness of uh, (laughs) of films that, 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 you know, that we love. So I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Uh, Before we go, give us
0: one bottle of wine we should be drinking right now.
1: Mm, well, I'm just going to plug my own then. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I, I make a little on the side. It's uh, I do Petit uh, petite Syrah from Sassoon. Uh, my partner and I, we want to make a more elegant version because normally Petit Syrah is going to be like a big brooding red wine. Good for like barbecue. But we took a decidedly more elegant approach. Uh, basically, we put it on neutral French oak uh, between depending on the vintage between nine and 13 months. Only make 50 cases a year um you can get it uh, the the brand the brand is errant sons if you were to just go to errant sons e-r-r-a-n-t-s-o-n-s.com um you'll see uh, i'm very proud of the the website it's very uh, generation it's it's reflective of of us we were born in 1983 and um i'm a super nostalgic person so it bleeds into whether for me if it's business if it's music uh, whatever I'm doing, the a sense of nostalgia uh, always plays into it because it's romantic and it's melancholy. Because there's this whole idea of like you can't permanently capture a moment in time, um, so it's like you're forced to just deal with a, a romanticized version of it. Uh, so I incorporated that a little bit into the the branding with the with the wine label, but the wine itself, super limited. We ship, I think, like most states okay. in the U.S. Um, and it's, it's boutique. It's, we just kind of launched it. So, uh, um, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, go through that.
0: Well done. I'm going to check it out. And now for those that want to hear, hear your music, how would they do that?
1: You know what I would say for everything, because I've got so many different projects. Uh, I got it all attached to my link tree. So if you go to L I N K T R dot E E backslash 83 Z, um, all my music projects are there one that's not going to be out till next year, but I'm very proud of, uh, of, uh, having a debut hip hop album where i just, I produce, but I'm working with a lot of, um, the legendary MCs from the last 20 years, uh, all over North America, uh, people that I've been a fan of since I was in high school and I'm getting to work with them. So, um, that's going to be out next year debut, but, um, currently my ambient music and my, uh, Sort of a cinematic electro pop music. Um, are are it can be on that Linktree website linktr.ee slash eighty three z.
0: Perfect. I'll make sure that I share that in the show notes. Again, Zeke Hampton, this has been an absolute awesome time. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Hey, and if you ever come out to, to Northern California, hit me up, man. I'll, I'll get you. I'll hook you up with some great wineries, and uh, maybe we'll we'll grab a drink too.
0: Sounds good. Sounds All good. good.
1: All right, man have a good
0: night you too thanks bye once again thank you very much to zeke if i may call him zeke what a fun show hopefully uh you've had a great time listening to it hopefully you picked up a, a thing or two and learned something about it and uh, and if you haven't ever seen true Rom- uh, true romance do yourself a favor get on that shit, because it is so good uh very very enjoyable it's a non-stop thrill ride uh, adventure, a little, a little romance, a little action, a little intrigue, and of course, you get Gary Oldman, who steals the five minutes that he's in this movie. Brad Pitt, um, who was a name, but he wasn't a name in all bold, all caps, and uh, he 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 crushes everybody. Everybody is perfect. That's one of the great things about um, Quentin Tarantino's stories. Again, I know this was directed by Tony Scott, but. The, the dialogue is so rich and so specific that it allows each character opportunities to shine. There's even an actor in this movie that says, like, virtually nothing other than doing an impression of um, uh, of Robert De, Niro, uh, Robert De Niro doing a, you talking to me? He, and he does, like, a little Robert De Niro face. He's, like, a glorified extra. He doesn't even do anything in this movie, and he's awesome. Like, I mean, go back, watch this movie. You're going to love it. So, anyway... Thank you. Thank you again for downloading this episode. Please do yourself a favor. Tell your friends to uh, check it out. Leave a review, preferably five stars, but uh, whatever it is, I do thank you. I do appreciate you. And of course, take a look at my website, StamperCinema.com. You can you can see all the episodes on here. And then I also have tabs where you can leave a review. You can read a few of my blogs because I've got a few. I try to put one or two each month. The website's still brand new, so there's only just a few on there. There's also a donation tab, so if you want to, you know, check out a little something something, I'll never do a Patreon. I will likely never do a Patreon, but if you would ever like to donate a a little bit of coin, I will greatly accept. Anyway, that's it. That's all I've got. Again, thank you very much to Zeke for hopping on the show. I had a great time. Hopefully you had a great time, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Stanford Cinema.